Well, it is so good to see you all here uh, this week. How good was Celebration Sunday last week? So good, right? Yeah, we, we got to celebrate a family dedication with the Litfin family. We got to celebrate with our brother Nick uh, and his baptism. Uh, the elementary students taught us a new song that they wrote based on the things they've learned in class. It's still stuck in my head. Uh, and uh, Jillian Vincent, our friend, taught us some gardening tips. So uh, it was just a really, really great Sunday, and we had a festive lunch afterwards. Uh, so uh, it was a great way just to continue uh, our life as a body together. Um, it, it's been an interesting week in the Osborne household. Um, just to share with you, some of you, uh, many of you have been made aware of this, but I thought I would just go ahead and, uh, I guess, invite everybody into this. Uh, on Thursday, um, we took our youngest son, Boaz, who was five, uh, to the emergency room. Uh, there were some symptoms he had that we were concerned about, and uh, it turns out he was going through uh, ketoacidosis, which is an indicator that he is type 1 diabetic. So uh, he had to be hooked up to IVs. He was breathing really hard and, and crazy thirsty. Um, but uh, fortunately, uh, eventually, they got his blood sugars regulated and all that. And so, but he is still currently in the hospital. Uh, but not to be outdone, his uh, older brother Stone, who is nine, on um, early on Saturday morning at about at three o'clock, I noticed him having some laborious breathing and nausea, so I took him to the emergency room as well, and it turns out he too <laughs> uh, was going through ketoacidosis and type 1 diabetic. So, yeah, I know, like people are saying, what? Because the thing is, like, every doctor we talk to is saying, like, yeah, this is not uncommon, or this is, sorry, this is not common for siblings to have this, and it's not, uh, whether it's or not it's a genetic component, it's not in our family uh, anywhere that we can trace. So it's just like this, huh, a uh, really weird thing. So, um, given that I, I pretty much didn't sleep yesterday, I was up from two o'clock, so uh, please give me grace today if I, <laughs> if I forget how to talk good English, and, uh, but do keep us in your prayers. Friends, I, and I do wanna say this, I guess to give you an update, uh, Boaz, for, uh, praise God, is unhooked from all his IVs and should be able to go home today. Uh, Stone, yeah, Stone has, yeah. Uh, Stone has um, moved from the ICU up to the regular floors, and they're just waiting for uh, the ketones of his body to uh, not be around, so he can go home today too, so, um, but Lord be gracious, yeah. So good, yeah, good updates. Uh, but when I share that, just to say that we have gotten, um, I mean, we've been like so busy, like texting people back <laughs> uh, of people just like praying for us and offering to come and watch our girls and coming and just offering meals and anything that can do. So. So, um, so grateful to be part of Apex. I love you. Thank you, guys. All right, let's go home. Uh, but do, um, but do if I if I'm emotionally, please, uh, uh, you'll you'll know why. So, what was I going to talk about today? Ah, uh, yes. Um, how many of you, with a show of hands, how many of you like learning new words? Yeah, sometimes, yeah, we got some wordy people in here. On occasion, I like to new, learn new words. Uh, I, 
I don't have like a, a one new word per day calendar or anything like that, but on occasion I like to come across a new word. And my favorite types of words to learn are, it's gonna sound weird, but I like phobias. <laughs> because like, like you know, the fears that we have, because not that I love fear, but the names of phobias are so weird. I mean, I don't know how they came up with them. So we have a few examples, so go ahead and show the first slide. We have um, xanth xanthophobia. Does anyone know what xanthophobia is? Xanthophobia is the fear of the color yellow. <laughs> Who knew that there was such a thing as the fear of the color yellow, right? And the thing is, is that if you are here at Apex today and you are a xanthophobe, um, you're, you'd be okay, but if you had the fear of the color orange, you might struggle a little bit for <laughs> all your reasons. Uh, but what about our next one? Our next one, arachibutrophobia. Arachibutrophobia, and, and I promise you, I'm not making these up. You can go and look these up. Arachibutrophobia is the fear of getting peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth and choking on it. <laughs> I wouldn't lie to you about this. You can look it up, yeah. And so apparently it's common enough that they had to make a name for it. Uh, but how about this next one and see if I can get it right. Uh, Hippopotamonstrosis quidelliophobia. I don't know if I got that right, but it's a word so long we couldn't even get it in one line on a slide. It's a 36 letter word. Do you know what it means? It's the fear of long words. And, and so, it, it <laughs> so I love that like, whoever came up with this word is totally trolling the people who had this fear. So that they'd have to say, I have the fear of, yeah, yeah, so anyway. But uh, I learned about a new phobia this past week. And it is um, metathesiophobia. Metathesiophobia is the fear of change. The fear of change. And um, because our brains are designed to um, like stability and predictability, and change doesn't provide either of those things for us, does it? Metathesiophobia is the reason that people stay in toxic relationships that they should get out of. It's the reason that people stay in jobs that make them miserable. I once heard the story about a homeless woman who lived on the streets who um, was not necessarily the friendliest of people, who was a bit grumpy, uh, but then uh, she died, and the minister who was... Um, charged with doing her funeral service, noticed that there were quite a few people who came to her funeral, uh, quite a few people, and he learned that a number of them came from far away. And, and he's just kind of confused by this. He, he's thinking, you know, how is it that somebody who was so networked and so connected to so many people, usually that's not typical for somebody who is without a home. And so he went and he talked to somebody who would have been in the know, and he said, what's going on? Why are there so many people at this woman's funeral? And the person responded, well, whenever there's money involved, people tend to show up. He's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, the people are here to get their inheritance. Decades ago, this woman came and inherited millions of dollars. Then why did she live on the streets? It's because it was the life that she knew. Fear of change. And in our season, as a church body, we are so certainly going through a season of change, are we not? Amen. 
And we've talked about a number of different emotions that we can be experiencing as a result of this change. Grief, perhaps anger, and certainly fear can be involved in that too, right? Fear of like, what, it, what is it going to look like for our body going forward? And so change can be scary. But it's, it's not unique to us. Um, and so we're going to talk about how change has happened through uh, the history of Israel. But in spite of change and in spite of how we may be inclined to fear, God tells us in a well-known verse in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So today I want to talk about what are three key ways that we can trust in the Lord in our season of change? Three key ways to trust in the Lord in our season of change. And to do so, we're gonna talk about um, the story of Joshua. But to give some context before the book of Joshua, we have Israel uh, redeemed from slavery, liberated from slavery in Egypt, led by Moses out into the wilderness. But eventually, the people grumbled to Moses. They said, ah, you know, it, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. We're here in the wilderness and we don't have any water. It was not the first time that this happened. But the Lord instructed Moses to speak to a rock, a large rock, and if he were to speak to the rock, then water would come out to it. But Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, out of probably frustration with the people grumbling, took his staff and he struck the rock. And water still flowed out from it, but the Lord took Moses aside afterwards and said, look, that's not what I told you to do. And you did not honor me as holy in the sight of the people, and therefore you will not share in this inheritance. You will not be going to the promised land. So even Moses experienced a failure of leadership. And I think that should give us pause and it should humble us, and it should cause us to tremble a little bit, because um, Moses, <laughs> Moses, who the Bible says spoke to God as one spoke with a friend, I mean, do you think your daily devotions in the morning are as good as what Moses was going, going through, right? Like, this is Moses, and even he experienced failure in his leadership. That should give us pause, Yeah? But he would not be going, he would not be going with Israel. And we too have um, had a dynamic leader and, and he will not continue in the journey with us. And so we, like Israel, can be asking ourselves the question, how do we move forward? Because the question is for us, Apex Church, do we still have a mission? Yes. Yeah. Israel was without their leader who had been with them for some 40 years, but they still had a mission. And likewise, we still have a mission of conquering Dayton with love for the glory of God. So that brings us to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter one. And here we will identify the first key of expressing trust in the Lord in this season of change. And the first key is courage. The first key of trusting in the Lord in a season of change is courage. Joshua 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites, and I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river to the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you and do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you will go. Joshua is told three different times to be strong and courageous. Why is it that the Lord wanted to emphasize to Joshua the importance of being courageous? Well, again, we have to think about the situation. Israel, but this new generation from the Exodus generation is about to go into the land. But we remember what had happened in the decades before. We remember that even though it was only a two-week journey from Egypt to the promised land, why were they in the wilderness for 40 years? Joshua is being reminded of what happened before because we know of this incidence where uh, 12 scouts were sent to check out this promised land that they were to inherit. Joshua and his friend Caleb were two of those scouts who said, yeah, this is a good land. Check out the pomegranates. Check out the grapes. They're as big as your head. <laughs> and he said, we can do this. The Lord will help us. But 10 of them, 10 of the scouts said, no chance. No chance. These walls are fortified, and the people there are like giants. They will squash us. We are like grasshoppers. And so the Lord calls this fear rebellion. He says, because of your rebellion, because of your fear, your fear against me is rebellion, you will not inherit this land. Because in their minds, they're thinking, oh, let's go back to Egypt Let's, let's, let's appoint a new leader and go back to Egypt. And God says, well, then you don't get to inherit the land. I'll give it to your kids. And they said, okay, okay, no, 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 we'll, we'll try. We'll, we'll give it another shot. So they went in their own strength to try, to try to take their land. And how did that go? Not good. So it was apparent to them that they had to wait. So now this new generation, after the Exodus generation had arisen, and it was time to go into the land, and God is reminding Joshua, continue to be courageous. Continue to be that guy all those decades ago who said, yeah, with the Lord's help, we can do this. Be strong and courageous. But what is the logic? 
The logic by which God says to Joshua, he could have courage. He said, be strong and courageous for I am with you. I am with you. I am present with you. How is it that God's presence gives us courage? Well, there are, as, there are a few things we need to uh, think about and realize about the character of God in order for his presence to be a comfort to us and to encourage us. And that is God's power and God's compassion. Because if God is only powerful, but he is not compassionate for us, then we can take no comfort in his presence. Because God could be powerful and yet be indifferent to us. God can be powerful and yet be uh, an enemy of us. You know, the people of Jericho could have no comfort in the presence of God because they were enemies of God. So you don't only need the power of God, you also need the compassion of God. But if we have only the compassion of God, but not the power of God, then all we have is a God who wishes us well and says good luck and gives us an inspiring speech. But if he doesn't have power to help us, then we can't be courageous there either, right? So we need both the power of God and the compassion of God. And Joshua uh, witnessed the power of God because he was there when the Red Sea parted. And of course, over and over, the Lord said to Moses, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Compassion and power. And so uh, there is, uh, I got this from uh, Paul Tripp. It's a bit of a, an equation. An equation, a, uh, it's kind of algebraic, right? DP plus DC equals EYN. And you're gonna say like, Chad, I wasn't good at algebra, neither was I. My favorite subject was lunch. <laughs> I was in advanced placement study hall, all right? Uh, DP plus DC equals EYN, divine power, plus divine compassion equals everything you need. And because of those things, we can have courage. We can move forward. And is that true of us? Has God displayed divine power in our life? Has he displayed divine compassion in our life? In him we have everything we need to move forward. And I think with this, um, with courage, um, one thing that is important is opportunity. And um, I came across an interesting quote by uh, a man named, an American journalist named Seth Younger. And if you could put that slide up, because I'm going to read it. Let's see if I can. Um, I'll have to read it from the slide. He said, I'd grown up in a Boston suburb where people's homes were set behind deep hedges or protected by huge yards and neighbors. Uh, and neighbors hardly knew each other. And they didn't need to. Nothing ever happened in my town that required anything close to a collective effort. Anything bad that happened was taken care of by the police or the fire department, or at the very least, the town maintenance crews. The sheer predictability of life in an American suburb left me hoping, somewhat irresponsibly, 
for a hurricane or a tornado or something that would require for all of us to band together to survive. Something that would make us feel like a tribe. What I wanted wasn't destruction and mayhem, but the opposite, solidarity. I wanted the chance to prove my own worth to my community and my peers, but I lived in a time and a place where nothing dangerous ever really happened. Surely this was new in the human experience, I thought. How do you become an adult in a society that doesn't ask for sacrifice? How do you become a man in a world that doesn't require courage? And that's Sebastian Younger. I think I called him Seth before. Sebastian Younger. How do you become a man in a culture that doesn't require courage? I'll say this. We should never love or um, be glad about the things that have happened here among us. But we can be grateful for the opportunity to go forth in courage. I've talked to a number of people here at Apex and they say, I don't know why I'm still at Apex, but I just feel like God hasn't asked us to go. And for those of you, I think that perhaps you are still here for such a time as this to show courage and through your courage, encourage others. Tim Keller has a quote in his uh, devotions on the Psalms. He says that true courage is not, I can do this. That's self-confidence. True courage is, this is more important than me. So God, give us the strength to be courageous. Courage comes through valuing something more than our own lives and more than our own desires. And that leads us to our next key of showing trust in the Lord in a season of change, and that is humility. Humility. We come to Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Israel has crossed the Jordan River. God has parted it in much of the way that he parted the Red Sea. So this new generation should be thinking, oh yeah, we heard something about this. Okay, looks like God is for us. He's fighting our battles for us. And, um, but starting in verse 13, they're about to you know, approach for the battle of Jericho. It says, now Joshua was near Jericho and he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as the commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does the Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. We have this interesting encounter of Joshua and the commander of the Lord's army. So Joshua sees this man by Jericho and the man had his uh, sword drawn. So it's not like it was just some like lost hiker or, or something like that. Just, uh, just passing through, you know, nothing. Like, it seemed that this person was there for a purpose and Joshua needed to go find out what that purpose was. And, and so I picture Joshua, uh, you know, this guy's a drawn sword. Joshua has to approach him a certain way. I, I picture Joshua doing his tough guy walk. You know what I'm saying? Like, like his tough guy walk, like, 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 his, like, like he's a professional wrestler and his music just hit. 
And he's coming out of the curtain. He's like, oh, what's up? What's up? What's up? You know? And so he, so he goes up to this guy. He's like, my man, who are you, who you here for? You know, who are you here for? Are you with us? Or are you, are you, are you with them? But to understand this passage, I think we need to talk about two things, both, one, who this character is, and when you talk about what he said and, and what it meant. And so um, if I can invite my, my sword bearer, Matt, <laughs> to come up here. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, this is a <laughs> my, my, dude who, my dude who's a Chick-fil-A guy just said my pleasure. So, yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I think it's in his contract. Uh, so um, here we have a, uh, this, is, this is a Marine officer sword. A Mameluke, he says. Mameluke. And so in, this, in the Bible here, we have this conversation between two military officers, if you will. The commander of the army of heaven and the commander of God's army on earth. And they're having a conversation. And so I'm going to try not to hurt myself here. But uh, the commander of the Lord's army had his sword drawn which points to a couple of things. One, it points to the fact that he's ready for action. You know, he's not just, he's not chilling with it just like in his sheath here, right? He's he's ready for action. But it also shows this. The only two other times in in the Hebrew scriptures that we read about a drawn sword is in Numbers chapter 22. This is fun point, this is a fun pointing stick I'm I'm discovering. Uh, In Numbers chapter 22 and First Chronicles chapter 21. And the character who had that drawn sword was the angel of the Lord. So apparently here, Joshua is having a conversation with the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord is a very interesting character in the Bible. Because there are um, some times where it talks about, and the angel of the Lord said... But it seems that in the same conversation, in the, para- in the same paragraph, it then says, then the Lord said. So it seems as though there is a distinction between the angel of the Lord and the Lord, but there's also, it also seems that they're the, the same being somehow. And in this odd tension. Um, but we see this, uh, well, we can see like what happened later in this passage. What does the angel of the Lord say to Joshua? Take off your sandals. This ground is holy. Where have we heard that before? Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. And it said that Moses saw the angel of the Lord in the bush. But from the bush, whose voice do we hear? The voice of Yahweh. So in some tension that we don't quite understand, it seems that the angel of the Lord is distinct from Yahweh and somehow is also Yahweh himself. Uh, theologians call this a uh, theophany, a, a physical manifestation of the invisible God. So that is the character who Joshua is speaking to very carefully. Whoa, okay, that felt really cool. <laughs> so Joshua is speaking to someone that he knows. Uh, he, he's getting the, the sense that this is more than just a man and perhaps even more than just an angel. And this angel commands him. I mean, first Joshua says, hey, look, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the angel of the Lord says, no. It's the, it's the multiple choice test. Are you for A, us, B, our enemies? He answers, C, none of the above. 
He says it's the wrong question. What's the right question? It's not about whose team I'm on. Joshua, whose team are you on? Joshua understands this, and so his posture is this. My sword is yours. What does the Lord command me to do? And I think for us, this is instructive for us in our prayer life, I think. Because by all means, the the Bible invites us to petition, to ask God for things. But if you'll notice in the Lord's prayer, the prayer in which Jesus taught his disciples to pray, um, the petition doesn't come until about the middle. You know, when we ask for our daily bread and for forgiveness, but how does the prayer start? It starts by recognizing God as our Father and hallowing the sacred name of God, recognizing who God is and recognizing his position above us and saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so by all means, ask God to bless you financially. But be sure there's also room in your prayer to ask God, how are you commanding me and guiding me in my finances? How can my finances be used for your purposes? By all means, ask God to bless your family, but perhaps lead off with, Lord, what is your command regarding my family? How is it that we as parents, how do you want us to intentionally disciple our children, my family? God, bless me in my career. By all means, pray God for God's blessing in your career, but perhaps lead off with, Father, you've given me my time on this earth. How is it that you would like for me to spend it? How have you gifted me? Sword bear. My pleasure. Ah, there you go. <laughs> and I think that happens both individually and corporately as well, because I think in a time like this, in a season of change and transition, I think a lot of us are going to have our own thoughts about how things should look moving forward. We need to be humble. And we need to surrender that, including leadership, right? As leadership, we don't need to be asking, God, please bless us. As leadership, we should be asking, Lord, what is your vision and how can we carry it out? So let us ask not God for be part of, for be, to be part of our plans. Let us ask God, God, what are your plans and where can we join you with you're already going? Because when you find that you've done that, then your prayers really get answered when you're already going along with the stream where God is already going. And so we need to be humble because in a time like this, in a season of change, there are few things more important for a collective body than unity. And an important ingredient for, an important ingredient for unity is humility. Proverbs 13.10 says that where there is strife, there is pride. Pride is the root of quarreling and division. Apex, let us be a church marked by humility. 
And that, of course, leads us to our uh, third way of showing trust in the Lord in a season of change. And that is patience. I should have paused there longer to make you, uh, make you wait for it. <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with it its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So imagine with me, you're a uh, soldier in the army of Israel at this time. And you know, yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of finding yourself living in a time where you have to display courage and you're like, you're ready to go. You're, you're amped up for a fight. You're like, okay, the Lord's with us. He has parted the, the, the Jordan for us. Um, it, you know, we want to be more faithful than our parents were. We're going to go and we're going to pound Jericho. So you go to God and you say, okay, all right, chief, <laughs> what, what's the plan? What, you know, what's the battle plan today? Are we going to kick down some doors and bust some heads together? I should have stretched first. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to kick down some doors and bust some heads together. And God says, actually, no. Today, you're going to walk around the city. O okay, cool, cool. But, but then after we do that, are we kicking down doors? Then what? No, no. Go back to camp. Uh, oh, uh, okay. So you go home, and your wife asks you, hey, how was soldier stuff today? <laughs> it, it was fine. What'd you do? You took a walk. <laughs> the next day, the next morning, you wake up and you think, okay, I get it now. That was the intimidation factor. We're letting them sweat. We're letting them shake in their sandals. We were out there to flex a little bit, but now they're ready. We're going to kick down some doors and we're going to knock some heads together. So you go, to, you go to the Lord and say, all right, chief, what's the plan today? We, we, we going to do it or what? Nope. We're going to walk around the city again. Oh, and then we're going to go in, right? No, you're just going to go back to camp. How many days are we going to do this? Six. Uh, okay, all right. Okay. Okay, I, we, we can do this. Okay. So for six days, you walk around the city. Day seven. Today is the day. You know what we're going to do? We're going to kick down some doors. We're going to knock some heads together. And it's time to drop the elbow. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and then the Lord says what? Actually, um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to do that, sure. But first, I need you to walk around the city again. Okay. Seven times. Okay. You see, you need just a little patience because 
God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. And God's timing is not our timing. And we see this throughout the scriptures. God comes to a man named Abraham and says, Abraham, you're going to become a great nation. You're going to have all these children. Abraham, 75 years old at the time. And decades pass. <laughs> Still waiting on that son there, Lord. His timing is not our timing. And Israel itself had this, this notion of a Messiah to come, but certainly they had no idea that it would be some 600 years after the exile. Jesus himself had an interesting sense of timing. A man named Jairus, ruler of a, the synagogue, comes and says, Jesus, please come and help heal my daughter. She's on the brink of death. And on the way there, they're, they're supposed to be hurrying, but Jesus stops and pauses to speak to a woman about a disease she's had for 12 years. That's odd timing. I mean, we're in an ambulance and you're here pausing? Or when Jesus' close friends, Mary and Martha, let Jesus know our brother Lazarus is sick and on the brink of death. And Jesus says, okay, cool, I'm gonna hang out here for a few more days. It's strange timing. But he produces in those situations more than if he were to do things in our timing. He shows people a greater glimpse of himself. I mean, Abraham having a child at age 100 is somehow cooler than him having a child at age 75. Jesus resurrecting Lazarus is somehow greater than Jesus just healing him from a sickness. Jesus is showing a greater revelation of himself. And so when God does things in his own timing, he has a reason for it. And that requires patience from us, and it requires trust. And it's not easy, but if we adopt a position of humility, we can recognize that we do not have the wisdom to know what the right time is. I watched my boys on the hospital beds this past week, and you know, so they're, they're hooked up with to IVs and all these fluids going into their bodies, but there, for a reason, there's a reason, they were so thirsty, but they weren't allowed to drink. Uh, as I understand it a bit medically, the stomach was is still not able to handle things, and if they were to, you know, vomit the fluids back up, well, that's just counterproductive. So my boys were thirsty, like begging for just water, Eventually, they got some ice chips here and there, but they were so thirsty. Every five minutes, is it time to drink now? And we kept saying, soon? You know what soon means in a hospital? It just means just don't think about it. <laughs> but they were so thirsty. And eventually, it was like some 18 hours later, they were able to drink. But if my boys relied on their own wisdom and did things in their own way, they would have they would have taken it in, but it wouldn't have been good for them. Even though they couldn't understand it, even though they couldn't understand the timing of why they had to wait. That's a lesson for us because we don't always know when the right time is. And we need to trust that the Lord has the wisdom about all that, don't we? And I know for here, it's kind of like we're beginning a, in a season where we're beginning a new adventure, a season where it's um, like the takeoff of an airplane. 
And not all takeoffs are smooth. <laughs> there is turbulence even in takeoff. And sometimes there's those dips where it feels like your heart's about to come up to your throat. <laughs> and you just want to get to cruising altitude. And I don't know about you guys, but I know for me, for at, at Apex here for a long time, I feel like I've been waiting to get to cruising altitude. But God is the one to establish that time, and we have to be patient. So with courage, humility, and patience, we can be tempted to try to, you know, bootstrap ourselves into, like, adopting these postures, adopting these attitudes, but these things have to be cultivated within us, and one way we cultivate these things within them, in us is to look to see how these things were present in the life of Jesus. Jesus who, who showed the courage by, you know, whenever a soldier goes into battle, he shows courage based on what might happen. I might get injured and I might die. Jesus went to his war knowing that he would die. That's not maybe courage, that's courage of like, I'm going in anyway. And when we see that, we can see that one, God had the power to save us and he had the compassion to save us. DP plus DC equals EYN. And we see that in Jesus and his courage, his power, his compassion can give us the same courage. We see the humility of Jesus on the cross. As we've talked about in Philippians, he, though in very nature God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And, but not only is Jesus our example, as we look to the cross, as we see that that cross had our name on it, that that is the that is what we have earned and we have deserved. Is there any room for pride when you realize that? Can you boast when you realize that it took the death of an innocent man to cover your guilt? That's a source of humility, isn't it? And patience. Like my boys, Jesus too experienced thirst. There's nothing like the patience of thirst, waiting to be quenched. But Jesus on the cross as he hung for hours had the patience to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because the definition of patience is to endure delay and to endure hardship and suffering. And Jesus endured all those things. And in doing so, he tore down the wall that was impossible for us to tear down. The wall that separated us from God. The wall that we couldn't shout down or blow trumpets and bring down ourselves. But it was Jesus who was another Joshua. You know, the, the Hebrew name for Jesus is Yeshua, it's Joshua. Another Joshua came out of the Jordan River at his baptism and conquered Israel with love. A physical manifestation of the invisible God. 
and he did it for us. We still have a mission. We have ways of showing trust in this season of change. And we have a reason to do all of these things. We have not only a Lord, but a Savior who enables us. So, band, you can go ahead and come up. The band's going to play a final song, and you, you know how things go here. We like to invite you uh, to respond with your bodies to the front in prayer. And again, the front three carpets are for those who are open to pray with others. The outer carpets are those who just want to do business with you and the Lord. But, but guys, have any of us perfected all of those things? Does anyone have perfect courage? Does anyone in here have perfect humility? Does anyone in here have perfect patience? So that means we all have a need, don't we? I want you to think about which one of these, I mean, we all need all of them, but which one of these resonates with you the most? I want you to come and speak to the Lord about that thing. Where is God calling you to lean into his power and compassion for the sake of your courage? What is it that he is calling you to have courage in? Is it your, something to do with your next door neighbor? Is it something to do with a conversation with a coworker? Where is it that he is calling you for courage? Where do you need to lay down and surrender in humility? What is it that you need to surrender? Your vision for your life, your vision for ministry, your vision for how things are at Apex, your vision for your family. What is it that you need to surrender and lay down in humility? Where is it that you need to be reconciled with somebody else? Because that takes humility. And what is it are you waiting for? What is it that you are enduring? Where is it that you need patience? Where is it that you need to see a vision of Jesus and his patience for you as he hung on the cross to soften your heart so that you can have patience in recognizing his wisdom of his timing? I want you to come and talk to the Lord about that, if that is you. So as the band plays, you come to the one who tore down the walls so that you could come and talk to him. And you can come and bowing, presenting your sword to him and saying, command me, lead me, guide me for your glory, for your mission.